The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, is sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, a leading Australian corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Focused on your vision, Barclay Pierce specialises in making it a successful reality. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our very first episode of our brand new podcast, Stock Insiders with me, Oriel Morrison. Very excited to be launching this here today. Now, we're lucky enough to have with us on this first episode, Daniel Fogo. Now, Daniel's the founder and CEO of Plenty. He has recently listed Plenty, which is essentially an investment platform and a lender combined into one. Daniel, welcome. I'm so excited to have you here as my first guest. Thank you, Aurel, and thank you for having me on your initial podcast. Well, you know, we've got high expectations for you, Daniel, so, um, you know, no pressure at all. <laughs> Very um, now, Daniel, tell us a little bit about yourself. You've been in finance for a long time, um, and clearly for you, Plenty was the next logical step. So tell us a little bit about your journey and how you ended up where you are today. Sure. No, it'd be a pleasure. Um, look, I studied economics and finance and then I, I worked in banking or investment banking for quite a long time across a number of countries including the UK and Australia um, but always I've, I've had an interest in a few things that, that have collided. The first really is in economics um, where I, I studied my undergraduate um, degree and in particular um, have always been fascinated by efficiency and productivity in, in our economy. Um, the second is in finance and I think um, I think it's the one area of the economy where one is, as a customer, often perplexed that there is not that efficiency or productivity. You'd often have experiences as a customer of a bank or another institution which you could find slow, complicated, and, and sometimes offer poor value. So I think from early on in working in the banking system, um, you know, I was very interested in thinking of ways where you could fix that and how you could transform finance to be more of a, a lubricant in the economy as opposed to being a friction. And I think there's one conclusion that leads you to that is technology that of course is, is what um, does improve productivity. So in that regard, um, you know, I, 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 I didn't come from technology DNA, but I certainly spent a lot more time looking at um, technology led businesses. I invested in a number in the UK and then eventually I decided I'd take the plunge and, uh, um, you know, find a technology-led business that was in financial services that could really deliver more efficiency. Um, and, and that led me to, to start Plenty. And that is, you know, I think a really key point to mention because you consider Plenty really a true fintech um, and, and the focus on technology and what technology can bring to financial services um, is what is really important to you. Uh, in the business, what is the point of difference when it comes to technology and the way that you're using it within Plenty? Um, good question. I, th I think first and foremost, it's about customer experience. Um, if you're going to prosper in financial services and you're going to compete and grow scale, you need to be offering something different and better than what the incumbents are offering. And that's really what technology allows you to do if you're a lending business. We can deliver our customers a faster, you know, fairer, 
um, loan, better value, uh, much more convenient, relevant to them at the point that they need finance. Um, the sorts of things that are much harder to do if you're encumbered with legacy systems. Um, so, so definitely that's the first thing. I think the second component is technology allows you as a business to operate very efficiently. So as you scale, um, clearly your, your, your lending originations and your revenue can grow much more rapidly than your cost base once you get to a certain size. And look, I think we've exhibited that as a business over the last 12 months. In the last quarter, our loan originations were around $170 million, which was up 120% on, on the prior year's quarter. But actually, our headcount had only grown um, around 20 people. So it just shows you the leverage that you have in a business, sorry, from a base of about 100 to, to about 120. So around 20% growth in headcount whilst you know substantially higher growth in loan originations. And that's the benefit of technology. So you can deliver a better customer experience. You can do it more efficiently, which ends up eventually, obviously, going to the economics of the business as it scales. Do you see banks as your competitors? Uh, we're in three lending verticals. So we lend for automotive loans, um, renewable energy loans, so people putting solar panels and home batteries into their house, um, and, and personal loans. And it is a bit of a slightly different answer across the different um, lending verticals we're in. In the automotive market, we're actually seeing a lot of the banks exit the market. Um, you know, most notably ANZ sold its automotive business a number of years ago. Um, and then Westpac, has, it's been, um, you know, disclosed um, broadly that they are in the process of selling their loan books. Not because it's not a good vertical to be in, but because of some of the prudential regulations or um, having changed, um, the fact it's actually, you know, very much around delivering a good customer experience and you need really good technology for that and you're not really set up to deliver it. And there's a lot of compliance um, involved in, in lending. And I think larger institutions um, find that difficult. So historically, yes, the competitors in auto would be would be banks, but that's starting to change as they exit the market. And then if it's a similar story, I guess, in personal loans where, you know, when I started this business back in 2014, um, the banks had around 80% market share in personal loans. It is substantially below that now. And certainly during the COVID period, um, I think that the decline in the bank market share started to accelerate more rapidly as consumers, you know, started to change their habits, you know, go online more often than they'd go to a branch, those sorts of things. And therefore, we're more likely to look around for a better deal from an alternative lender. Um, so I think it used to be banks. And now I think, um, you know, it's, there's obviously um, other other lending businesses that we'd be competing with, which are, which are not banks. Mm, mm, exactly. And I think that's a good point that you made uh, via COVID, because if you look at the history of Plenty, you started this company back in 2012. A huge amount has changed within the marketplace since that period of time, but especially in the last 12 to 18 months. So what sort of impact has COVID had on your particular business? Because across the board, we've seen the, the update of innovative new technology, uh, which probably would have happened anyway, it just happened a lot faster. Have you experienced this as well? Look, that, that's right. And look at it, the story of change does go back to 2012. I, I recall my first discussions with, with ASIC, the regulator, and I was using the term fintech, and, and they'd actually never heard of, of that term before. So we were pretty early on, um, or, or, or an early mover in terms of being a fintech, if you like. Um, and so, you know, we had a good vision as to where we could take the business, about where each of the markets might go, 
And I think we were quite diligent as a private company in terms of just laying strong foundations so that once we're in the public markets, we could sort of put the foot down, if you like. Um, and obviously, COVID arrived. And when you're a credit business, you obviously worry quite a lot about what that might mean for your prospects mm. going forward. Mm. Um, but there's been some perverse outcomes. I think the credit environment's been incredibly um, favourable just because of, you know, in part government stimulus, the unemployment rate now being quite low. Um, but as you, you you alluded to, the most positive thing that has come out of COVID from our perspective is absolutely um, those change in consumer habits. Um, we are we are finding a much greater propensity for people to be smarter around their finance. They are more used to shopping online, looking for a better deal or a better experience, looking up customer reviews before they decide where they're going to purchase something. And I think that's the sort of thing that plays into the hands of a of a technology led business like ours. That is, you know, a cloud based online online business. Albeit, I say that, but actually, you know, we do get about seventy percent of our borrowers um, from um, referral partners, and 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 that might be renewable energy installers, um, it might be you know automotive brokers, and so on. Um, but an, an important part of our business is people just coming direct online. <laughs> You, you talked about the impact of um, COVID on, on economic growth, and, and I think this is an important question for you in your position now. What is your perspective on how things stand at the moment in Australia, and, and what are you expecting to see over the next sort of 12 to 18 months in terms of growth, in terms of any recovery in the economy? Um, I think the thing that's most important from our perspective is the unemployment rate, um, because um, you know it's, it's highly correlated to to business and consumer confidence, um, and also credit performance. So, and, and confidence obviously goes to to demand. So, um, I think um, we we had the budget this week, and I think leading into that the budget, um, we were already quite optimistic around what the the next twelve or twenty four months looks like. Um, post budget, I think um, we 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 are further um, encouraged about the the future in terms of demand for our loan products and also around the credit environment. So um, it seems a perverse thing to say only twelve months after COVID hit, but I think we are um, very positive around um, the next um, you know or the foreseeable future, um, which is a, a nice comment to be saying. As I said, only twelve months from from. Um, the, the onset of COVID, where, where one was obviously thinking something slightly different. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, if we'd had this discussion at this time last year, it probably would have been quite a different answer. <laughs> <laughs> it was at that time, it was really about battening down the hatches, yes. being conservative, making sure if you were lending to anybody, you were you're being super conservative. So we've certainly moved away from that. And I think the other thing from our perspective is, um, you know, we, we've seen good demand recovery across all parts of our lending. If you think about the, on, the the impact of COVID, the car market's actually performing really strongly now because people don't necessarily want to get on public transport. Um, and, you know, our business model is more about taking market share than what the, you know, rather than being dictated to by by what the market growth is. But it's still helpful. And the same is on, it comes into play on renewable energy. When people take renewable energy finance, um, they're generally sensible, responsible people who are, a, caring for the environment and B, saving money because if you put solar panels on your roof, you're reducing your power bills and over time it makes a lot of economic sense. And so during the COVID period, we definitely saw people being much wiser um, about about that and, and, you know, the growth in solar panels and 
over the last year, it was about 30% over the year prior. So a lot more investment in home improvement and people being quite smart with their money and solar panels is a, a smart way to invest. Now, you listed, Daniel, in September of last year, um, raised $50 million in your IPO. When do you believe that you are going to be profitable? Look, it's a, it's a good question. We're we're in a closed period at the moment, so I'm obviously constrained in terms of what I can say. We're announcing our results on the 25th of May. When we listed the business, we were very clear to investors that um, you know we we were raising um, that amount of money to help fund our growth. We we had um, true belief in the in how we could scale the business, and I think since we we did list, our growth has been exceptionally strong. Um, it's actually, um, you know, the, the origination growth is, is probably stronger than, than than what we might have alluded to, to people who are investing in our IPO, which is really pleasing. Um, I talked about the platform nature of our business, how we when we scale, the cost base doesn't grow in proportion to, to the originations and the revenue. So clearly you get to important points over time where um, you do become profitable. So we haven't been precise on what that looks like at the moment. Um, but we, when we release our results on the 25th of May, we'll certainly give a lot more direction. Um, but we, we were clear to people um, at, at our IPO that, you know, it was within a, a sensible time frame. A sensible time frame. That's a great answer. I like <laughs> that one, Daniel. Um, let's talk about expansion then um, and, and your strategy there. Um, obviously, you're focused in the Australian market um, and that's where you plan to stay. Is there anything out there on the horizon that is making you or encouraging you to look internationally at this particular point in time? I mean, even close to home, somewhere like New Zealand? Look, when we think about, um, you know, why we might go into an overseas market, it, it, it might make more sense when I think growth is more constrained in our current markets. The reality is in, in our markets at the moment, there's so much growth opportunity. I, I mentioned, you know, our, our fourth quarter was 120% up on the prior year in, in loan originations. But still in the automotive market, we've got, you know, one or 2% of the originations over the last 12 months. In personal loans, it's again one or two percent of the market originations, and in renewable energy, only around seven or eight percent of that is our best estimate. So, um, we see a really long runway in the markets we're in. You know, the automotive market is over thirty-three billion dollars of originations every year. So that's much larger than the credit card market, much larger than BMPL, and you've got these large incumbents that are exiting the market. So, you know, there's a lot to go for in. Um, our existing markets. When we look at the personal loan market and how much market share there is to gain as we see some of the incumbents lose their market share, um, it's really just, a, for us, it's about execution. We've got a plan and, and and the next 24 months for us is about executing that plan. If we do that successfully, then I think um, you know, you're a business of more substantial scale. You hopefully have a better currency to start thinking um, about how you can be more creative in, in terms of longer-term growth. So talking about currencies, um, interesting segue here, um, Daniel, but when I talk to people in the market right now, the conversation almost always comes back to cryptocurrencies. Um, obviously, we've seen huge amounts of volatility in the cryptocurrency market, but I find it interesting, given your business, as to whether or not you're interested in cryptocurrencies, whether you would ever perhaps accept uh, cryptocurrencies as collateral for your loans, or or whether or not there's a, another way of um, sort of using cryptocurrencies, or perhaps it's it's just going back to blockchain um, in the future. 
Uh, look, I'm, I'm certainly not um, too narrowly focused when I think about fintech. Um, I, look, I was a founding director of a, a buy now, pay later business in New Zealand called PartPay, which is a, um, eventually bought. And the technology that was used in that business um, was also used in the, in the US for QuadPay, another business that is bought. So I think that's indicative of the fact we're always thinking about what the opportunities are across um, you know, finance and particularly where, where consumers are either investing or borrowing. And so, yes, we have thought um, uh, quite a lot about um, cryptocurrency and how that might be relevant to our business. Where, where I think it um, is relevant is um, some of the underlying technology can be useful for, um, you know, recording loan contracts and movement in, of money and so on. But I don't think, um, you know, we'll be using um, Bitcoin or, or other similar blockchain currency in, in the future uh, or in the near future. And I certainly don't think that um, there's an opportunity in the short term to be lending against those assets just because of the volatility. I think we'd need to see a lot of stability in those assets before a business like ours, which is very much a prime lending business, will look to lend against those currencies. I think last night, for example, we saw Bitcoin drop about um, 12% on my math. So um, you know, we like to lend against, um, if it's an asset, something that's very stable. So we might move to another moment in time where um, that assessment might change. But for now, um, you know, uh, we really see some of the, the blockchain technology potentially being helpful, but only in terms of recording data for lending. So you just spoke about your loan book. Um, just how far away are you from the billion dollar loan portfolio that you're aiming for? Um, look, when we um, released our prospectus last year, our, our loan portfolio recorded in that, and that was about $400 million. Um, and when we released our quarterly update last month, our loan portfolio was at about $615 million. So it shows you the book is growing quite quickly. Um, and I talked about the real step up and growth that we've experienced as a business over the last three and, and six months. And so one doesn't need so much, um, you know, that, that growth to be sustained for so, too much longer before you do hit a billion dollars. So again, in the closed period, so limited in terms of what I can say, but certainly in our results um, in May, I would be anticipating that we'll give some clarity around the timing of that because there is quite a lot of predictability in a benign economic environment around the loan originations of, of our business now. Oh, very much looking forward to that. Uh, Daniel, you said that those results are out on the 25th of May. Correct, Excellent. that's right. Excellent. Um, look, we really do appreciate your time. It's been wonderful to have you with us here on our very first uh, Stock Insider podcast. Um, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you, Aurel. I really enjoyed the discussion. All right, well, that wraps it up for this edition of Stock Insiders with me, Oriel Morrison. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'll be back next week with much more. This episode of the Stock Insiders podcast with me, Oriel Morrison, was sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, Australia's leading corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Barclay Pierce Capital provides specialised corporate advisory and equities trading services to privately owned businesses, small to medium-sized public and ASX-listed companies.